You need something, and you need it fast. So what do you do? Where do you start? For some of us, our first instinct, besides going in store, is to check online. Fast online shopping is a lot more dependable than it used to be. Why? Because expedited shipping exists. There are a lot of services available that get products to customers as soon as possible. And then there are companies like Amazon. Amazon takes it to the next level. The platform provides businesses a place to sell products online. It's simple, customer friendly, and useful. And of course, there's Prime. So if you do need something and you need it fast, if eligible for Prime shipping, you could get it ASAP. Sounds amazing, right? So what's the deal behind businesses on the Amazon platform? I'm your host Randall Silvey, and welcome to Deal Closers, a tech and internet M&A discussion. I had a chance to talk to Jason and Ron again from WebsiteClosers.com about Amazon and its business model for other businesses. It turns out that several e-commerce companies turn to the platform to drive sales. They're called FBAs, fulfillment by Amazon. You know, a lot of companies have kind of turned to Amazon to fulfill all of the shipments for them. And so Amazon will take the product in on consignment. They'll ship it out to all of their different DCs around the country. You know, they do the picking, the packing, the shipping, the storage, everything. So that way you really don't need to have any of the overhead associated with that particular business. You can focus more on new products and you know, building your company. You might have some customer service matters, but most customer service related to shipping is actually handled by Amazon as well. So they make it very easy for people. And because Amazon represents 50% of all e-commerce sales in America right now, you know, that's where all the eyeballs are. That's where people do most of their shopping. It's something like 75% of all people start their shopping at Amazon. And again, 50% actually end it there. So that's why most people focus there. The vast majority of people are going to be FBA. And the reason why is because the algorithms at Amazon are going to promote a particular product that's shipped in two-day shipping or prime shipping over one that isn't. And you know, if you're FBA, that means that they're controlling shipping. They know it's going to get there in one or two days, sometimes same day. If you're fulfilling by merchant, that means that now it's up to you to ship that product out. And you're not going to have the same kind of speed that Amazon and its relationships with UPS and FedEx and all the others have. And so that promotes your product higher in search engine results pages. You know, so if you're selling, you know, widget A and someone else is selling widget A and you're prime because you're FBA and, you know, somebody else is merchant fulfilled and they're not prime, maybe even you're a cheaper price, but because you're prime, Amazon knows that's what customers want. They want it quick and to the door. So they're going to rank that product higher than others. So that's really the reason why over the past like three to four years, you know, since they instituted the FBA program, everybody has sort of gravitated there because they want to rank better and because it makes it a lot easier to sell. And not only that, but also a lot of these guys will also have their own websites and Amazon will fulfill for those websites too. They make it very easy. Amazon will fulfill for just about all other companies too, except for Walmart. They don't currently fulfill for Walmart. So you might have to get a 3PL or maybe your own small warehouse to, to deal with Walmart. And there's a couple other companies out there as well that won't fulfill directly from Amazon for obvious reasons. But that's sort of the, the idea behind what is an FBA company. And a lot of buyers like them because they're easy to operate. You know, you can operate them from your home. There's really no reason to have an office 
Most people will run an Amazon FBA company uh, using a couple of virtual assistants. And a lot of times those come from Asia or uh, you know places like the Philippines, et cetera, where they've been trained for customer service and inventory management and those kinds of things. But you know it's, it's pretty common. We've got about 350 clients right now around the world, and I'd say about 225 to 250 of them are Amazon FBA companies. So very high volume. Uh, there's over 3 million sellers in the U.S. I think there's 6 million sellers worldwide on the various Amazon platforms, and almost all of them have now gravitated to FBA. Think about it. You can find nearly anything on Amazon. And that's because so many different kinds of businesses sell on the platform. You know, obviously, if you're an FBA business, you're selling a consumer product. And that can be any product that is for sale on the Amazon platform. It can be either a product that you have your own brand on, or it could be a product that you go out and you buy the product from a brand or from a company that owns that brand, and then you sell it on the platform prime. So you have that opportunity. It's basically an open source platform. You can sell other people's products or your own products. But if you're selling other people's products, then you've got buy box competition. And what that means is that, you know, widget A could be for sale on, on Amazon and there could be maybe 20 people selling that widget A because you don't own the brand and the other sellers don't own the brand. You know, now everybody's going for the buy box. And, and the buy box is that button that you click that says add to cart. They call that the buy box. But you have the option as a buyer to actually click on other sellers. And if you click on the other sellers, you can see the other ones who didn't rank for the buy box. Usually the ones that rank for the buy box are selling prime, which means that they're FBA. And so that differentiates them from maybe seller fulfilled people that are, you know, also selling a bunch of products, but you know, they're not prime and they're just kind of shipping them out on their own, or they may be drop shipping them directly from the vendors. Amazon realizes that those are not the most exciting of sellers. They want the people that are going to send product to them in their warehouses so they can ship them out quickly. So that's, there's two different kinds of FBA sellers. I will say 95% of all FBA sellers have their own brand, their own products that, you know, they bring in from usually Asia, but sometimes from America. They go directly to Amazon's warehouse. Uh, Amazon then ships them out to all the different DCs around the country and you know it's all selling their particular product and the the whole idea with Amazon is to be either same day or one day for just about everything so you know that's what everything's sort of gravitating towards right now a couple things i wanted to also jump in on the why people choose amazon as a platform to sell their products obviously amazon is the 600 pound gorilla and they're the largest in the world by a mile we have people who start companies and Two to three years later, they're multimillionaires. And we know because we sell their companies for millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, that would be number one. But also, if you look at the types of business this is, it's a lifestyle choice. You know, where else can you work at home, choose the hours you decide to work, be able to establish global presence pretty quickly in the uh, life of your business and not have any employees at all if you choose. And so from a lifestyle standpoint, it's an amazing business to be able to just launch and build and create wealth. In our last episode, we talked about the steps taken to evaluate companies as potential clients. It sounds like FBA companies are relatively easier to evaluate, considering they don't have to have as many moving parts as non-FBA businesses. But it's not that simple. 
So in terms of your end of working with an FBA business, how might that be different than other businesses you work with? It kind of depends on where the FBA business is located. We get a lot of clients from the UK and other parts of the world that are selling, you know, either on just the Amazon platform or they're selling maybe in Canada on that Amazon platform or in the EU, UK. We sold several companies that only sell in Europe. So, you know, whether or not it's an international transaction or it's an international seller, that can differentiate a, a transaction because there's not going to be a bank involved in those deals. And so it's a different kind of buyer. And then it goes to, well, how big is the company? You know, if it's, if it's got over 2 million of EBITDA, then it might be an opportunity for a buyer, even if it's international, to go to the capital markets and get funding for it. And private equity groups tend to have investors in the background anyway. And so they're going to be open to the concept of buying an international company. But if it only has $500,000 in EBITDA, you know, usually that's going to be a small business administration loan from most buyers. And the Small Business Administration will not fund a transaction if it's international. And so that impacts the valuation of a deal, the buyer pool, and the timing of a deal to get closed. But we do have a lot of those. You know, we do definitely get a lot of people, and it's it's a very difficult transaction, but we get them done. It's just, again, about, you know, managing expectations with the client, making sure they understand it's going to take a little longer, that there's not going to be a bank involved. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is because banks don't have jurisdiction over someone located in Romania, as an example. And it could be a beautiful business growing, but you know, if there's no jurisdiction and there's no collateral, then you know, obviously a bank isn't going to be interested. And plus, the SBA has told banks you can't do this. So that's one big differentiator with an FBA business compared to a lot of others. Other differentiations, I think, also depend on the kind of model that it is. You know, because you're going to obviously model a company and value a company a little bit differently depending on what it is. If, it, if it's a SaaS company, a high-growth SaaS company, you know, a lot of times you're looking at recurring revenue and valuing off of recurring revenue. And you got to understand sort of the burn rate of the company if they're still burning. you got to understand the repeat customers and how long those customers stay with you, the lifetime value of them. So you're just looking at them a lot differently, you know, compared to an FBA company. An FBA company is an easy company to understand. Everything's being fulfilled by Amazon. You've usually just got a couple of people in an office working. Everything can be seen all from the Amazon platform. So all the spreadsheets and everything that come out from Amazon are easy for people to actually get access to right on the platform and see. So from a diligence perspective, you know, FBA companies are super easy to sell because you know, you're not faking any of those numbers. There's no cash coming in or going out there. It's all coming straight through the Amazon platform. How might the valuation process of an FBA company be unique? One thing I think is really important to understand is that we don't look at these as quote-unquote FBA companies. Yes, most of their sales might land on that platform, and yes, they might be fulfilling by Amazon, but we, don't, we definitely don't look at them that way. We look at them as a company, as a brand, and they're either also selling on other platforms and doing other things outside of Amazon, or they can. You know, they can scale their, you know, with the right buyer. You know, I, I always hear people talk about these things as FBA companies, but that just isn't it isn't an accurate depiction of what it is we're selling. You know, we're selling a brand. And you know, you don't even have the right to sell an Amazon FBA company. You know, you, you sell the brand, you sell the company, they operate on that platform. And they also have the opportunity to operate on the Walmart platform. They can operate on other Amazon platforms. They can take that brand and build it out in social media. 
and do you know things at retail. Uh, they can start putting the product in the hands of distributors. And so there's all these things that you can do with these brands. And, and yes, there's so many sales happening on Amazon that that's sort of the path of least resistance. But we try to you know coach our intermediaries that you know you don't want to pigeonhole a company into just being an Amazon FBA company because that's really not what it is. And so you know, we don't necessarily look at it that way. We look at them the same as any e-commerce company. However, the only uniqueness is that are they, you know, as an example, are they highly concentrated? Is, is one particular ASIN highly concentrated over, you know, the whole portfolio of, of products? Because if it is, you know, that can be a problem in a risk profile because, you know, there are buyers out there that, that get concerned with, you know, as an example, if one particular product represents more than 15% of sales, that if that product, if something happens to it, it goes out of inventory or whatever might happen with that particular product, then they lose 15% of their company. And is that product going to come back? And so when you have a company that's highly diversified from a concentration standpoint, that really helps and that can really impact the, the valuation. Also something that impacts valuation for FBA companies, which is the same for all companies, and that is growth. You want a company to be growing nicely year over year. It's even nice to see it month over month if they can keep it going, but that's very difficult to do. But you at least want year over year growth, and you always want to go to market at a time when you are growing. You never want to go to market when you're on a downtrend. No one wants to buy a company that looks like it's on its way down. And that's the problem is that what is the right time? And the answer is the only right time is if you're going up, now's the right time because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes you can get a feel for what it is, but in reality, you just don't know. So I, I think those are some things that people look at. Also, is it a highly competitive product? And if it is a highly competitive product, how are you competing on the Amazon platform and what makes you different from others? And if you've got good answers and good narrative around that, it can really be helpful as it relates to the valuation. You know, if you've got a product that you just created out of thin air and you have a patent for it, and it's very difficult for anyone else to sell that particular product, that's kind of a unicorn on the platform and very rare. You know, more often, you know, as an example, you may have a supplements company, and that's a highly competitive product line. Now, we sell lots and lots of supplements company, and we sold almost all of the big brands on the Amazon platform but they're highly coveted. And it's not necessarily because of the competition there. There it's about repeat customers and the opportunity to scale a brand that's doing well on Amazon off of Amazon. And you know, a lot of times the buyers are coming in, see the opportunity to take it into other places like Walmart, or they see the opportunity to take it to retail shelves. Because really, you know, when you look at retail as a whole right now, even though everybody's eyes are on e-commerce, it still only represents, what is it, Ron, like 15%? of all retail? I think it's 12%. Yeah, 12%. So there's all this opportunity still for people. And I think that's also what excites and why we have so many people buying these companies and getting excited for what's happening is because, you know, if we're only at 12%, what's it going to be like when we're at 60%? What's it going to be like when retail goes from 12% to 60% online? And why wouldn't it go that way? I mean, right now we've got a lot of people that are still hesitant to shop online, that tend to be a little bit older, that don't like giving their credit card information online. But in 30 years, all the people that are you know, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s right now will all be those people. And they all don't have a problem putting their credit card information online. They don't have a problem with online shopping. And so it's obviously going to grow. And the question is, how much is it going to grow and how fast? So being there in the right place, you know, that really helps a lot too. 
Yeah, and just a little more on that. This sector is in its infancy. There is so much growth left that I think that's why so many people are looking in this direction, including some of the best and brightest in America, some of the most successful companies, including publicly traded and family offices, private equity groups, everybody is looking in this direction right now. And just even from a demographic standpoint, most of the discretionary capital is with the baby boomers. And they're the least likely to be buying product on the internet outside of travel. So you got to figure over the next 5, 10, 20 years that money passes down. That alone is going to be a huge growth scenario in this particular sector. It's no question online retail can only go up from here. There will be even more opportunities for new businesses and people to create wealth online. But along with new businesses, newcomers, and they'll have much to learn about the online deals, especially when it comes time to sell that business. Looking at tips and strategies a little bit here, when people are looking to sell their Amazon business for profit, or I guess as you were saying earlier, more their brand, what's the biggest mistake you see people make? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Number one would be not paying attention to their financials. You know, not, you know, going early and having an accountant start putting those things together for them so they can get a real good feel for what the company is actually making. You know, if if it's an Amazon company, they tend to use like Cash Cow Pro or uh, Hello Profit or some of the other tools that are out there to sort of, from an API standpoint, you can just pull the data in and get a feel but it isn't a really a a true indication of what your company is. And so I think that's a mistake, not paying attention there. I think another mistake is not building a foundation. I think earlier in another episode, we were talking about what are some things that kind of make a company stand out compared to others. And if you're an Amazon FBA company and it's just you and a couple of VAs, that's fine. We can sell that and that's pretty common. But if you're an Amazon FBA company and you've got a whole team of people, a whole platform that you've created that, you know, you've basically invested in the human capital to grow the company, then you've got a much stronger company in the eyes of buyers. And and it's common sense, right? I mean, now you have this team, you know, maybe you've got a marketing guru or a graphics person on, on the team. Maybe you've got, you know, someone like a bookkeeper, you know, maybe you've got an inventory management person and then you've got this person and that person and, and someone is a key person for every element of that company, someone to help with R&D. So when you have all of those things, a buyer is much more attracted to that for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it provides stability and a more comfortable feeling about the company itself that you can then take it and scale it because you've got the services, the human capital services you need to be able to scale it. But also, you know, from an investor standpoint and banks in the background, they like to see that there's human capital, you know, in the business. I mean, that's something that's attractive to them too, because they feel like it's a real tangible business. You've got people making payroll, you know, all these things are happening. It's a real company. And so, you know, it's hard to tell people that because, you know, from an FBA standpoint, if that's all you do and you just sell on the Amazon platform, you don't need people. And that's the difficult part. I mean, yeah, you can build the team, et cetera, but you don't have to. Like Ron said, you can become a multimillionaire pretty easily, you know, by running it very, very small. But if you take the time and the money to build the team, first of all, just from a business standpoint, that's a smarter way to grow a company, if whether you want to sell it or not. You know, you want to have a team. It's all about the people and you know, hiring the right people to grow a company. But also, you know, if you want to sell the company one day, you want it to look more attractive than others. And 
having that ability is, is really important. As an example, we've got a, a company that manufactures their own products. We've sold all of this company's competitors, all of them. And they look better than all the rest of them because they have taken the time to build a team. They've got like 40 people on their team and they manufacture all their product. They get everything in in bulk. But uh, because they've kind of taken those steps to do those things and become the manufacturer themselves, they look much better than all the people out there. And one of the reasons is they have designers in-house, so they can design the products to make them look different than what other people do. You know, they have the ability to put design patents on things or to particular, you know, add copyrights to things that other people can't just go out there and copy, you know, kind of glom on to what they're doing. So that makes them stand out. That makes them a little bit stronger than their than their competitors. One other item on that as well would be SKU concentration, because a lot of these sellers will launch a, a product that really takes off and they make a ton of money. And it's awesome because they're, you know, here they are looking at it saying I'm highly profitable. But from a buyer's standpoint, they're looking at that company as what if something happens with that product and it loses, you know, it's standing on the Amazon platform and they know what could happen to their profits. So it's really important for these companies to avoid making the mistake of just thinking that because I have this great selling product, I'm set. They should really focus on building up their different SKUs and diversifying their, their product mix and their uh, revenue stream. So One of the things that I don't think a lot of people understand about these companies that are ranking well on the Amazon platform Amazon changed the rules a few years back. It used to be that you know you could you could go out there and basically you know almost buy reviews for your products. You could give away products all you wanted, and you know people would in, in exchange give you a review. And you know obviously you would all of a sudden have thousands of reviews on a product. And the algorithm that runs the search engine result pages. If you've got four and a half stars or five stars on a product and a lot of reviews, that tends to do better than a product that has, say, three stars and maybe only 200 reviews. And so people learned very quickly that it was all the game was all about reviews, and that's how you rank on that platform. Well, Amazon changed the rules, and you know, so now things are a little bit different. Because they changed the rules, now it is much more difficult to have a strong review on a brand new product. And so you know, when you are selling a company that's sort of established now in a particular category because you have all those reviews, or they're still there, that makes you highly valuable because any competitors trying to come in are not going to be able to get that same level of review. You know, if you've got 10,000 reviews for widget A and someone wants to come in and compete with you and they're going to have three reviews, I mean, how in the world are they going to be able to, you know, from a consumer's eyes, how in the world are they going to be able to compete? So that sort of is a barrier to entry that's built into the fact that Amazon changed the rules a while back and doesn't allow that anymore. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And again, we go back to this concept of here we are only at 12% of retail occurring online. What happens when you've established yourself, you've bought a company and established yourself in a particular category, and it goes from 12% to 30%. You know, look at all that additional volume that's coming through and you now have basically a toehold on an area. It's basically like buying property in New York City and owning an entire block and owning all the stores on that entire block. When I mean, you own that whole space, that's kind of the way it is on the Amazon platform because those people are all going to use the same keywords. They're going to look for all the same things and you're going to be right there for years and years and years. Thanks to Jason and Ron for taking the time to talk to me. Feel free to send us any questions you have about mergers and acquisitions. We'd be happy to explore the answers. Till next time, 
This has been Deal Closers.